this episode, we hear about a chess player who would sometimes play bad moves intentionally just to confuse and frustrate his opponents. It was a purely psychological strategy, and it worked. In fact, he reigned supreme in the chess world for 27 years. This is the story of Emmanuel Lasker. Hello everyone, and welcome to Audible Chess, where I tell the story of chess through history, fiction, and the games of the masters. This episode, I owe a big shout out to Thomas, Scott, and David. Thank you so much, guys, for your support. The podcast is 100% listener supported, so if you want to contribute, head to the website or check out the show notes for ways to do that. I hope you enjoy the show. Emmanuel Lasker was born in Prussia on December 24th, 1868. When he was 16 years old, his parents sent him to Berlin to study mathematics, and while he was there, he lived with his older brother, Berthold, who taught him how to play chess. Evidently, Lasker learned very quickly. It wasn't long before he was bringing in extra money by playing games for stakes in the cafes around Berlin. Jump ahead to 1894, and Lasker was challenging the current world chess champion, Wilhelm Steinitz. The match took place at multiple venues in New York, Philadelphia, and Montreal. Steinitz was shocked when Lasker beat him. He won 10 games, lost five, and drew four. He was now the second official world champion. Amazingly, Lasker remained champion for the next 27 years, until 1921, when he lost to Capablanca. In 1933, when the Nazis came to power, Lasker and his wife Martha left Germany and settled in Moscow, where he taught at the Institute for Mathematics. In 1937, they moved to the U.S., first to Chicago and then to New York. Lasker died there in 1941, at the age of 72, after suffering a kidney infection. Lasker's playing style was definitely idiosyncratic and hard to pin down. Capablanca claimed that, in fact, he had no definitive style. Max Juve famously said that you could not actually learn much from Lasker's games, but could only look on in wonder. For Lasker, the psychological aspect of chess was paramount. He would intentionally play unorthodox and sometimes inaccurate moves to draw his opponents outside of their comfort zones and get them unsettled. This way they wouldn't be able to rely on memory and pattern recognition, but would have to play on skill alone. Here's a quote on Lasker from Richard Retty's The Psychology of Chess. For him, the essential element is this contest of the nerves. He uses the medium of the chess game to fight, above all, his opponent's psyche, and he knows how to bring about the nervous collapse, which otherwise occurs only after a mistake, even before a mistake has happened, and to make this the very cause of subsequent errors. He turns the game in a direction not suitable to the style of his opponent, and on this unaccustomed road leads him to the abyss. Lasker had the reputation of being a kind and generous man, but was of course very combative over the board. He especially loved the thrill of discovering hidden tactical combinations and surprising his opponents with them. Here he is reflecting on this aspect of chess. The game gives us a satisfaction that life denies us. And for the chess player, the success which crowns his work, the great dispeller of sorrows, is named Combination. 
Lasker was also, as I've said, a mathematician. There's actually a phenomenon in algebra that he is credited with discovering called Laskerian rings. He was friends with Albert Einstein. I don't know how much truth there is in this, but it's said that whenever Lasker and Einstein were together, they could never agree what to talk about. Einstein always wanted to discuss chess, but Lasker always wanted to talk about mathematics. When Lasker died, it was Einstein who wrote the preface to his biography. Here's a brief passage from it. Emmanuel Lasker was undoubtedly one of the most interesting people I came to know in my later years. We must be thankful to those who have penned the story of his life, for this and succeeding generations. For there are few men who have had a warm interest in all the great human problems, and at the same time kept their personality so uniquely independent. The game this episode is Lasker versus Vasya Pirk from Moscow, 1935. Check out the show notes for training resources along with links to the game annotation. Thanks everyone for listening and I hope the show helps improve your chess. 1. Pawn to e4. Pawn to c5. Two, knight to f3. Knight to c6. What color is the d4 square? It's a dark square. Three, pawn to d4. C pawn takes d4. Four. Knight takes d4. Knight to f6. Which piece is on the b1 square? White's knight. Five, knight to c3. Pawn to d6. Six. Bishop to e2. Pawn to e6. The black pawn on e6 
attacks which two squares? D5 and F5. Seven, castles kingside. Pawn to a6. Eight, bishop to e3. Queen to c7. Which squares are white's rooks on? A1 and F1. Nine, pawn to F4. Knight to A5. Ten, pawn to F5. Knight to c4. Which black piece is defending the knight on c4? Black's queen on c7. Eleven. Bishop takes c4. Queen takes c4. Twelve. F pawn takes e6. F pawn takes e6. Which white piece is attacking the black knight on f6? The rook on f1. Thirteen, rook takes f6. G pawn takes f6. Fourteen, queen to h5. Check. King to d8.
Which square is white's bishop on? It's on e3. Fifteen. Queen to f7. Bishop to d7. Sixteen. Queen takes f6. Check. King to c7. White's queen move forked the king and which other piece? The rook on h8. Seventeen. Queen takes h8. Bishop to h6. Eighteen. Knight takes e6. Check. Queen takes e6. Which file on the board is completely open? The F file. Nineteen. Queen takes a8. Bishop takes e3. Check. Twenty. King to h1. Black resigns.